0: Chapter 4, verses 9 through the end of that epistle, verse 22. <clears throat> God's inspired word from the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22, God's word. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescent has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. "'Get Mark and bring him with you, "'for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. "'When you come, bring the cloak "'that I left with Carpus at Troas, "'also the books and above all the parchments. "'Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. "'The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. "'Beware of him yourself, "'for he strongly opposed our message. "'And my first offense, "'no one came to stand by me, But all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come come before winter. Eubolus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Glorious Father, we thank you for your word that it is living and sharp and it is a light into our path. And so we pray, O Lord, you would humble our hearts this evening that you might write your truth upon our souls, that we might be transformed by your truth and your grace to to be conformed more and more to the image of your Son. So please give us ears to hear and then fill our hearts with your truth and then send us forth to live for your glory be also with the preaching of your word made be done for the magnifying of your holy name and the building up of your dear saints. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. So you're in the doctor's office and he walks in after doing numerous tests and he says, I have bad news. You only have one year to live. Yeah, such news is about as bad as it gets. This is kind of the stuff of nightmares. You've probably known a loved one, a grandparent, a friend who has received this very news. But if the doctor said this to you, how would you respond? How would you spend your last six months or year to live? Well, if you felt good enough, maybe you would take that trip that you always dreamed of. You may eat the foods that you really enjoy. You might try to cross a few more items off your bucket list. Well, this is what the doctor has told Paul. Or more more precisely, what some Roman centurion told him six months and sliced the throat. Yes, Paul knows that his months are numbered. And so what is he going to do with his remaining time? Well, Paul is locked up, so he can't just do whatever he wants. And in many ways, this entire letter covers what Paul does in his final days. And yet, as he signs off in the passage before us this evening, Paul especially lists off his final to-do list. And from what he writes the Lord will impress upon us our only comfort in life and in death, namely the sweet mercy and living hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. So after charging Timothy to fulfill his ministry in verse 5 of chapter 4, especially by preaching the gospel in these unseasonable times, Paul confidently affirmed that he has fulfilled his ministry. He has finished the race, I have fought the fight, I have kept the faith. And one reason he can say this is because he knows that the time of his departure has come. His life is about to be poured out like a drink offering, like red wine spilled from a glass, so Paul's life will be splashed out upon the dust. Yet Paul's coming libation only makes him lift his eyes heavenward to his glorious reward purchased by his savior. The imminence of his death makes Paul ponder true life and the righteous crown granted to him by the righteous judge, Christ himself. His mortality doesn't push Paul to wallow in melancholy, but it raises his mind to the lofty benefits of Christ to the glory of his justification, to the appearing of Christ, and to the immortality that was brought to light through the gospel. And yet the nearness of death doesn't just lift Paul's eyes heavenward, vertically, but also to reach out horizontally. He now turns to Timothy and says, Come to me, my son. Don't delay. Make sure you get here. The balm of heaven warms Paul's soul, but he longs for the comfort of, a fellow, of his fellow saints. Paul's dying to see Timothy one more time to be with his spiritual son before he dies. Indeed, this is what every hospice, hospice bed needs. Family, friends, saints. And so he calls twice out to Timothy to come visit him and to be quick about it. Before winter, Timothy must visit Paul. And one reason Paul desires to see Timothy so badly here is because he's actually lonely. Yeah, it's lonely in that cold, dank Roman prison, especially since so many people have abandoned Paul. The majority of of Paul signing off here is listing the people that are not with Paul. Now, some of these people we don't know anything about as their names only show up here. And yet most of them, we do know they are close friends and were co-workers of Paul. Titus was a longtime helper of Paul, and he is in Dalmat- Dalmatia. Tychius, who traveled with Paul to Jerusalem and who's called a beloved brother in Ephesians, he is on his way to Ephesus. Cretians, Mark, Carpus, Erastus, and uh, Trophimus are also all in other places. Thus, Paul is without all his close friends. With pain, he states, Luke alone is with me. Now, sure, the beloved doctor is with Paul, and, and this is good, but everyone else is somewhere else. Now, surely Luke was a great comfort to Paul, but as you know, when it comes to being lonely, you don't want to see just one of your friends, but all of your friends. Having one friend is great, but you miss the others. And so Paul is longing, and he especially wants to see his spiritual son, Timothy. Now, there are other people with Paul, for he does send their greetings in verse 21, namely this Eubolus, Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the other brothers of whom we know nothing about. And so Paul seems a sense of loneliness he isn't overly literal, but it is deeply emotional. People are with him, but he's still lonely, as he's particularly missing Timothy. Yet Paul's loneliness also comes from the fact that some of the people have left him, that they did so in a hostile manner. They abandoned him. Demas was a close friend and a fellow minister with Paul. He's been mentioned in several other of Paul's letters. But Demas abandoned Paul because, it says, he was in love with his present age. Now, it's a bit ambiguous what is concretely meant by this phrase. Loving this present age might be financial, that is, Demas went to Thessalonica to make money for a business opportunity, though more than likely it probably refers to safety. As earlier in this epistle, staying around Paul in prison was pretty dangerous. It could get you into trouble. Thus, Demas likely seeks his own well-being and safety far from Paul and Paul's prison in Rome. And yet, whatever the specifics, the phrase here to be in love with the present age contrasts with verse 8 all those who love the appearing of Christ. There are the saints who love the appearing of Christ, and then there's Demas who loves this present age. This is a contrast between what is eternal and what is impermanent. To love this present age is to love what is passing away. This age is ephemeral, disposable transitory and decaying, this present age has an expiration date on it, like lettuce in your fridge or chips in your pantry, this present age is good for only so long, and yet the appearing of Christ, the bond that we have in Christ with our fellow saints, this is actually eternal, imperishable, enduring forever. These things do not tarnish, they do not rust, they don't fade or go out of style, Or expire. But Demas, he fell in love with this present age. Now, we probably should not take this as a full-blown apostasy. But still, this is a sharp warning concerning our loyalty to God and to one another. Demas loving this, this passing age more than Paul and his suffering for his gospel is a serious issue. And this hurt Paul deeply. This means that Demas was more like a fair-weather friend. He cared more about himself and his safety than Paul and his sufferings. And what a failure this was in love for Paul as well as Christ. See, too often we think, or we're too quick to measure our love for Christ more abstractly, more emotionally. Sure, I love Christ. But Paul more so measures our love to Christ more concretely, namely how it's expressed towards others. Kind of like in 1 John, Paul basically says, you love Christ? Okay, let me see it by how you love the saints. Our love and loyalty to our fellow saints is a key way that we love Christ and his coming, especially when our brothers and sisters are going through hard times. To desert a saint on their hospice bed? This is a sad selfishness. No wonder Paul was hurt, torn up, by Demas' leaving him. But Paul hasn't just been forsaken by friends, but he's also been openly attacked. Alexander the blacksmith did him much harm, Now this Alexander might be the same one that Paul excommunicated in 1 Timothy 1, but we're not sure. Nonetheless, Alexander was an open enemy of Paul and the Gospel. And note he's still a threat as Paul tells Timothy to guard himself against Alexander. But note here how Paul responds to being harmed by a foe. He says the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. That is, Paul hands him over to the Lord and the Lord's hands. Paul does not seek personal revenge, but he leaves vengeance to the Lord. When enemies of the gospel assail us, it's proper for us to hand them over to God. May the Lord take care of them according to his wisdom. And yet this response Contrast starkly with those who abandoned Paul in verse 16. As he says, at my first defense all deserted me, but may it not be charged against them. Note here, Paul prays for mercy so that they might be forgiven. Lord, do not count it against them. And why? Well, this desertion was more due to fear and frailty. Paul's first event defense, as you know, was his trial before the high officials of Rome, maybe even Caesar, who was Nero. To stand with Paul at this time would be a little bit like a Jew walking into a concentration camp to ask the Nazis to let the Jews go. This would be terrifying, suicidal, life-threatening. It would make the bravest faith shake in its sock. Thus, out of fear and weakness, the brothers stayed away. They didn't stand with Paul. Now, this is far from good, but note how Paul extends mercy and gentleness towards them. The open enemy of the gospel, Alexander, Paul delivers over to the justice of the Lord. But for those saints who stumble in timidity and feebleness, Paul extends compassion and forgiveness. What a comfort this is, as we too are prone to cowardness and fear. Indeed, and it's an example for us so that we might show patient mercy to others when they abandon us. Well, it's for this re- these reasons that Paul is again feeling lonely in prison. And it's why he so badly wants to see Timothy one last time. When you have been left, abandoned, and harmed by others, there's often one person that hits the sweet spot that you have to see. There are friends, and then there's that one friend that you want to be with in the darkest time. Well, Timothy is this for Paul. After all, if you think about it, they've been partners on the mission field for over 15 years. Timothy is like a son to Paul and Paul a father to Timothy. Item number one on Paul's bucket list is to see his son again. But note that this is not the only item on the bucket list. He also wants Timothy to bring him his cloak. Now the cloak here is probably a heavy and warm blanket, a furry blanket, cozy and comforting. As you know, to be in a dark room and cold especially stink, stinks. To be in jail with a warm blanket is a world of difference from being in jail shivering with nothing on. Though every fuzzy blanket requires a good book. And so Paul especially wants Timothy to bring him the scrolls and the parchments. Now, some of these may be writing materials as well as reading materials. And we don't know what were on the scrolls. Maybe they were scrolls of the Old Testament, or maybe one of the Gospels, Luke's or John's. One of the scrolls may have been a collection of Paul's own writings. Nevertheless, during Paul's final weeks, he wants to read, and to read God's Word. Thus, how highly Paul commends to us reading. By example, he advocates regular reading of God's Word. Even with all of Paul's massive education, all the Bible he has memorized, he still wants to read. Some charismatics nowadays dismiss God's word, claiming all they need is visions and revelations. In our day, people carelessly and lazily will just choose a video over the written word. But as for Paul, reading the word is where it's at. How does Paul spend his last moments wrapped in a warm blanket, sitting next to his son Timothy, and reading the Word? So simple and yet beautifully profound. Surely how well Christ cares for us tenderly on our deathbed. The Word, the love of fellow saints, and a good book, God's book. This is the fuzzy blanket of Christ's infinite love as the cold of death presses in. And yet as Paul approaches the inn, there's another dimension to his experience, a more public and apostolic one. Note how he colors what happened to him. He says that his first defense all forsook him, and yet he was rescued from the lion's mouth. And yet this language Paul here actually echoes Psalm 22. And of course, this Psalm was the Psalm that Christ quoted upon the cross. My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thus Paul shades in his sufferings after the image of Christ. He paints his experience in the shape of a cross. And this is something that Paul has done often, that he's done it in this letter as he told Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel or his chains. But Paul does this in other places. He says, be imitators of me as I I am of Christ. He says, in the flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings for the sake of his body, that is the church. So then, using the language of Psalm 22, Paul conceives of his final suffering and death as being more like his savior. And of course, even though Paul is like Christ, he is not Christ. For Jesus was truly forsaken by all, even the heavenly Father. Paul, however, was precisely not abandoned by the Lord. Even though all his other friends failed to show up, Christ stood by Paul in his first defense. The Lord was with him, and he strengthened him. This is that sweet Emmanuel promise that we see throughout all of Scripture. Just as the pillar of cloud was with Israel in the wilderness, so the Lord has promised to be with his people to the end of the ages. And as Paul stood before the sword of Rome and all the glory of Nero, Jesus was with him. Christ's grace gave him the courage and the strength to stand strong. Even though all others deserted him, even though all others may desert us, when all the other lights go out, Christ's light is ever with us. He never forsakes his own people, and he's forever faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Look, though, at the purpose of Christ's aid, verse 17. More literally, it says, so that the preaching may be fulfilled and all the nations might hear. In verse 5 of our chapter, Paul told Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And now Paul says the preaching here is fulfilled through him. And this language echoes what, Paul, or what Jesus said to Paul in Acts chapter 9. There, after his conversion, there Jesus said to Paul, Paul is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. Likewise, in his other epistles, Paul regularly remarks how he is an apostle to the Gentiles. Furthermore, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy, you'll see that Paul has a tendency in these epistles particularly to kind of break out into gospel poems. There are a few in 1 Timothy, there's a couple in 2 Timothy, and yet in these gospel poems, Paul always writes himself in it. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul wrote, Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, for which I was appointed a teacher of the Gentiles. In 1 Timothy 3, Jesus was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, appeared to messengers, preached among the nations. 2 Timothy 1, Jesus Christ abolished death and brought to light immortality, for which I was appointed a preacher. Likewise, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached by my gospel. Hence, Paul understands that in his gospel defense before Caesar, that this is the culmination of his apostolic ministry. And with it, his apostolic ministry is fulfilled. In one sense, you could say the apostolic age has come to a close. His life and ministry have the same termination point, the gospel being heard by the nations. No wonder then he can say, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. At the end, Paul is suffering just like his savior and he can bravely announce the gospel of his savior Jesus. And with this fulfilled, only one thing remains. As he says, the Lord will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. With the close of the apostolic age, only one more event awaits, the appearing of our Savior, his second coming. And for Paul personally, now that his office is complete, there's only one last thing, Christ bringing him into glory. Note especially that Paul here does not fear death, He says the Lord will deliver him from every evil deed, that is every temptation to stumble or to be unfaithful, but Paul takes comfort in the fact that perseverance is not first and foremost a virtue of humans, but it's a gift of God's grace. Christ will keep Paul faithful. His grace preserves this apostle. Hence, after the Lord delivered Paul from the evil deeds, It says he will save him into his heavenly kingdom. Note that there's no hint that Paul will be saved from dying. Rather, Paul is certain he will die even at the hands of his Roman captors. Thus, Paul's comfort is not in the absence of trouble. It's not in having no pain or no hardship, nor is it in avoiding death. Rather, he finds consolation that in his death in Christ, that this is his salvation unto the heavenly kingdom. To leave the body is to be with the Lord, and his death will be his first resurrection. Thus, at the end of this letter, Paul returns to where he began, to that promise of life that is in Christ. There are still plenty of uncertainties that chill Paul here. Maybe Timothy won't make it back before winter. Maybe those scrolls and cloak might not reach Paul. Even more, maybe more brothers will abandon Paul. But there is one certainty that Paul does not doubt. Christ's love to bring him home. That Christ is faithful to his promise. And this is the sweet consolation that Paul leaves with you. For as far as we know, these are the last words that Paul ever wrote before he died. This is the final epistle of Paul's life. And we, we don't know if Timothy made it in time. Did Paul get his fuzzy blanket, his son, and that good book, the reading of the word? We don't know. We do know that in a matter of months, a Roman sword took off Paul's head. Like his Savior, he died as a criminal of the Roman Empire. Did did Paul have friends saying, we love you, or was he all alone? We don't know. But we do know what Paul said to us before his end. The Lord be with you, or be with your spirit, and grace be with you all. The same comfort Paul enjoyed, he leaves with you in these last lines. Namely, that the promise of life is yes and amen. That the Lord will rescue you from every evil deed, and he will bring you safely into his eternal kingdom. That is, the, the apostle leaves you with Christ, with the gospel, with the word, your only true comfort that you are not your own, but that body and soul, you belong to Christ. Purchased by his blood, held firm by God's love, nothing can separate you from Christ, and, and certainly not death. And this is the final farewell of Paul for you. As you know, goodbyes are never easy, but this one is about as good as it gets. Thus may this be your consolation and your strength, both in life and in death. May this be your cloak to keep you warm at night. And then may we share this comfort with others by visiting our brothers and sisters in their hospital rooms and at their hospice beds. That we visit them with the good book of the Bible and loving them more than this present age. Thus, with Christ held high and with his gospel treasured deeply among us, let us praise the Lord in life, in death, as we sit on our deathbeds with a good book, May we praise the Lord to whom all glory be forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Glorious Father, as you have taught us, it was appointed for all men to die and then judgment. Indeed, Jesus came and he died to purchase us Redemption, so that the future for us is not judgment, but salvation. Thus, O Lord, what a comfort this is as we face the hardships and the dark seasons of life. Even as we heard in the prayer request early on, many are suffering with health issues. Many have loved ones near death, and we feel this in our hearts and our souls. But Lord, we thank you that because Christ died and rose again, you have given us a balm against that bitter bite of death. You have given us the warm blanket of your love. You've given us the fellow saints to sit next to us. And you've given us your good book so that we can read of your grace and your gospel, even at those last moments when we will take our last breath and go be with you. So Lord we thank you that in here with Paul that he impresses upon us your faithfulness to us through life, through hardship, and even in the dark moments of death. So Lord we thank you for this and we pray O oh Lord that then we would love you more than this present age and we would love you by loving the saints. Indeed teach us to be next to one another with prayers, with readings, and with warm blankets during the hard times of life so that you might be glorified in us and so that we might glorify you in life and in death now and forevermore. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.